Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, everybody, just take your chairs if you could. Um, we've got two very interesting discussions today. Uh, we have what if they're gay and not trans, which is a very, very pertinent question because we know so many so many gay lesbian bisexual people have come to the conclusion that they should transition and so now we're hearing it from the horse's mouth to, to hear from different people with different perspectives but certainly with their own sexual orientation to kind of say this is where where I come in and this is how I uh, I understand this and later on don't forget at seven o'clock we will be having the panel of detransitioners and the bar will be open for that so it should be a convivial affair and also yeah if anybody wants we'll, most people will be going downstairs there is food downstairs in the bar after this this will be a Five o'clock will be free from five till seven. Okay, so I'll leave it with the capable hands of Mr. Benjamin Boyce. Hey, everybody. It's a little awkward here because um, the table's too short. But um, so I just want to open it up so everybody else can tell uh, their answer or of this prompt, or or just to rift on this prompt. What are what are your thoughts on what if they, whoever they is, are gay, not trans? So, Isolde, would you like to start? We'll start in the middle. Sure. So, being asked to riff on this, I thought back to the early 1990s when I came out in the women's community in San Francisco. And there was a question back then, why are all of our butch lesbians transitioning? <laughs> so, of course, they weren't all transitioning, but some were, and that was always a part of the culture. But there was always a freedom to be a butch lesbian, and there was always a freedom to love a butch lesbian. And yet what's happened since the 1990s is the complete erasure of that community. And there's no woman's community for young, same-sex attracted women to come out into. And if they are women who feel that they have a sort of a sense of female masculinity, they're being streamlined, they're being pushed down towards transitioning. And they don't see anything. They don't see any other women out there like them. They don't see the women out there that would love them. And so this is a question. How do these young women get to understand their sexuality? With this focus on gender, <laughs> gender is very little to do with sexuality. I mean, it plays into our sexuality. But sexuality is about who we desire, who we desire to spend our lives with, who we desire to have sex with. And so what the problem for young same-sex attracted people is in a heteronormative society, they don't see what they can be. And so we're preventing these young people from getting a chance to explore who they are, who they authentically are. And if somebody wants to transition at the end of that, that's all good, right? I don't have a problem with people transitioning. I just want young same-sex attracted people to have a space to explore their sexuality. Just a follow-up question. 
Do you have any ideas or have you spoken um, among that butch community about why um, the they can't just be masculine women, why they need to... Yeah, absolutely. So the women that transition are the women who have really profound gender dysphoria. So not all butch lesbians have gender dysphoria, right? Uh, but, but there are women living with really profound gender dysphoria and then also living with the response in society to their butchness, which is a lot of aggressive responses. Uh, and so that mixture of handling and managing the gender dysphoria and dealing with a society where you constantly face discrimination. That's why. Malcolm, uh, what's your insider <coughs> take? Um, I'm involved with uh, LGB Alliance, and um, I think that it was founded by two uh, lesbians, Bev and Kate. <clears throat> Kate has often said that the reason she felt so animated to, to set up the organization was the same experience that Bev had, the same experience that I had, that when you're a kid at school, um, you know, I was a very camp little boy, and I know, and Kate says she's absolutely convinced, so is Bev, that had we been young people now, we definitely have been fast-tracked. We were so obviously gender non-conforming. I mean, there's a, there's a term in Scotland, lassie boy, and it just, it, me, I don't know, it's an Irish one as well. <clears throat> and it, it, it is, a, I was always called a lassie boy because I would play with the girls. I didn't want to play football. How boring, stupid boys running around kicking a ball. Um, and so I would definitely have been fast-tracked. And so, you know, I know... I mean, that's why the organisation was set up, to protect our younger selves, really. Um, I mean, and, and the, the, the reason, one of the reasons I feel really strongly about puberty blockers was I was really badly bullied as a gender non-conforming kid, but the thing that saved me was I suddenly had puberty and I soared and I got bigger and I took up the gym and, um, and I, you know, and I fought back and puberty was what sort of transformed me from this little skinny kid to this guy that could look after himself. And I think you're taking that human right to go from a troubled little kid into becoming almost adult, and you're trapping kids in the period where they feel least confident. And so that's another reason why I feel pretty strongly about blockers. And, and speaking to... Um, sorry if... I is that an offensive term, lassie boy? I, I don't know. It was intended to be. A, uh, okay. It was definitely intended. It was, it was not meant as a compliment in Ayrshire well, so in, in 1972. <laughs> in, in going through that, um, have you been in a position to coach or, or develop device for so-called lassie boys to, to get more comfortable with themselves? And I mean, that's something that we w definitely want to do is, yeah. is as an organization to provide what Stonewall said it was. I mean, Stonewall went into schools. It's sort of, it's sort of like a ruse. Stonewall went into schools to, because there was lots of bullying. Now, we all knew there was lots of bullying of gay kids or gay teenagers or whatever, gender non-conforming kids. They went in there, they said they were going to stop bullying, and then they bullied teachers and gender non-conforming kids into accepting gender identity. And, and what is needed now, I mean, they're not the only one. There's a huge number of these bonkers organisations that go in there and essentially now go into schools 
and trap gender non-conforming kids into gender ideology. Uh, and what is required is an alternative to that. And we would we're trying to produce schools material, which we hope you know can go into schools that will encourage these kids to think of themselves as nothing being wrong with them. They're, they are not trapped in their own body. They are just different, and that's all that they need to be told. Thank you. Jed, Jed what's your uh, take? Um, well, my take comes from my per personal experience. So um, I'm a 22-year-old detransitioner, and I'm lesbian. Um, and I, like, when I was... 14, I found trans on the internet, and I ended up um, at the Amsterdam clinic. Like, I'm Dutch. I ended up at the Amsterdam clinic when I was 15, um, and I didn't know my sexuality at that time. I thought I was bisexual. And then I was diagnosed, and I was put on blockers, which stopped my sexual development. And then I was put on testosterone, which made me attracted to men. And then for five years, I was just confused about my sexuality because it wasn't a proper sexuality. It was only sexual and I wasn't like getting crushes on men. It wasn't a nice thing. It was very uncomfortable. And then when I um, detransitioned last year and I stopped testosterone, my I went through my own sexual development that I should have gone through at 16 and I was just lesbian. So if they had just let me develop as a teenager and not stop my puberty, then I think things would have just resolved. Just speaking to that, you, you, if you're 22, you've grown up in one of the most uh, accepting of uh, homosexuals uh, society, at least in the West. Mm -hmm. um, to what degree did this, your society around you uh, make you uncomfortable with your sexuality or make you question or focus, over-focus on your sexuality as um, a young person? Well, I'm from the Netherlands, but I grew up in a small city on the outskirts of the Dutch Bible Belt. So it wasn't terrible, but like I had people, like neighbors in my street that said they would disown their children if they were gay. You know, so I grew up with that. I grew up with, um, I was bullied my entire childhood because I was so masculine, like up until age 12 or 13. Um, I was ostracized by other girls for not being like them. Um, and and when, when the topic of gender came up, did that feel like an answer or an out? Um, well, I, I had always felt different from other girls. I didn't know why. And then when I was 14, so this was early 2015, I found transgender men on YouTube and it was all transgender men who used to be lesbians. I know that now, but I didn't realize it then. Um, and it really resonated with me because they had the same experience of always having been masculine and being different and not feeling like a girl mm -hmm. and not liking girly things. And what was, what was the trigger for you to, to question or to go on the path of detransition? Um, Sorry, <laughs> what happened there? Um, well, I really got locked into it because at the Amsterdam Clinic, they have a diagnostic trajectory 
and it's six months and they diagnose you so you have a formal diagnosis and as a child you really trust the clinicians so like for years I was like you know I have a, this is the right path because I have a diagnosis um, but after about three years on testosterone and I had a mastectomy by then like after three years I was kind of like you know I'm not any happier I, I, I lost hope that transition would make me happier I was like you know this is it. It's not going to get any better. But then I, um, and then I, I kind of wanted to quit testosterone and I had doubts and I was like, what if I had, you know, grown up as a girl or what would it be like to be a woman now? I started having those thoughts after three years when I was about 20 years old. But then for two years, I just got stuck because I couldn't imagine detransitioning because I still did not want to have long hair. I did not want to wear women's clothes. And I kind of felt if I detransitioned, I would have to live up to these expectations that I felt like I felt like I could not live up to those expectations when I was 14, 15, which is why I got sucked into trans. And then when I wanted to detransition, I felt like I couldn't because I was still clinging on to having to live up to those expectations. And it was only after like two years of thinking, 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 um, and just getting older that I realized that I don't have to live up to any expectations <laughs> in order to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And I should have... <laughs> and someone should have told me that when I was 14. Mm. Yes. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Richie, what what are your thoughts? Oh my, just in brief. Keep it brief. Um, Okay. (laughs) uh, Twenty six minutes, so we're good. Right. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I haven't got anything like properly prepared. I've just been making a few notes, so I'm sorry if this comes off a bit random. But um, I think let's go back to the original question first. What if the gay not trans? Well, how about what if they're just gay? Right? Let's take about the not trans, because what you're doing by saying that is you're verifying that trans is actually a, a solution to this, to like a, a choice, you know? Um, it's not. It's not. Fucks your body. I'm not, I'm not apologizing for swearing. Fucks your health. Fucks your mental health. Uh, completely destroys you. So the question I have for the people who, who say, if I was there when, sorry, if I was growing up now, I would have transitioned. And I understand that, right? My question to you is, 
I transitioned when this contagion wasn't there as an adult. So why didn't you transition as an adult with the same homophobia? What was it? And I've been thinking about this as we've been talking, and I think it's all to do with availability, because there were homosexual men who transitioned decades and decades ago, but it was so fringe because there were so many safeguards. You probably could have walked into the clinic, but you probably would have got bounced back. And the difference was safeguards. That's the only thing that changed over the last few decades. Well, I had the chance to go through puberty, and once I went through puberty, I didn't have gender dysphoria. But so did That's, I. I had. Yeah. I, I went through puberty, and I still felt like that. So yeah. where does that narrative start and finish? Because I do worry that a lot of this is all pitting detransitioners versus transitioners, and I see a lot of things in social media with uh, trans people mocking them and calling them horrific names and and some, you know, mockery is important to some degree, but to where we're at now, I'm thinking, that was me a few years ago and I'm, I'm not going to join in with the hyena laughing and just say that all these people are ridiculous and mentally ill and, I mean, let's be honest, we're all, you don't come here because you're a happy person, right? Um, but I'm just... I feel like we've ejected all the compassion out of this completely, and it's not as simple as, what if the trans are gay? I don't think it's that simple. I think it's just a case of availability, culture, politics. It's, and uh, I, for one, I, I'm trying my best not to align myself with a narrative I don't agree with, because I see a lot of these people as friends. Some trans people I've known have been extremely um, intelligent, really big hearts, uh, helped us through a lot. And I, I, I can't sit by and, and just destroy them when that was me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, before Angus speaks here, the theme that I'm picking up from, from your experiences is our how difficult it is for us to deal with exceptions. Like, this is the exception. The, the homosexual is an exception. Uh, the, the butch or the, the masculine female or the feminine male, those are the exception. How do we deal with the exception? And, and then when we go and we, we find ourselves again unable to deal with the exception when we enter into the, cons, uh, the conversation about trans, detrans, that, that those categories themselves, even though that we have such a problem with categories that we have a problem with the exception to the category and, and trying to hold that space and really hold people in that mm. kind of between place. Mm. Um, it's not an easy place, and I don't think we should bill it as an easy place to be kind of different in a way. And we shouldn't idolize it either. Even that, we, we com collapse the complexity there. Yeah. So... No, I agree, and um, just to finish on that, I think a lot of people look at detransitioners for the answer, and I'm thinking, I'm the one who walked into the burning building and got burned, and you're asking me how to stop fires, and I'm like... You <laughs> <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's final thought. Take it to the next level, Angus. Um, well, I, wanna, I want to follow up on what Richie and Malcolm were talking about and say I, I think I would have... Um, desperately wanted to block puberty. I know that there are detransitioners who take issue with that because, like you say, well, why didn't you? You're right, it's availability. I had no idea. I had no idea that that was a thing. Um, 
because I would, to quote Stella O'Malley, I would have swum across seven oceans to get out of going into the boys' changing room. In fact, I did. I truanted from PE for a year. I worked out that the PE teachers weren't that bright. So I told one I was in one class and the other I was in the other class, and I hid. I hid in the toilet for a year. I don't want to perv on girls in the... Ch- I don't want to perv on girls. <laughs> it wasn't to do with that. It was to do with the absolute crippling, just this horror of being confronted with male company. I was literally convinced I would not grow tall. I've spent an entire 24 hours and people go, God, you're really tall. Yes. (laughs) I'm six foot five. I actually thought I wouldn't grow. Um, And I thought my voice wouldn't break and all sorts of things. So when you come in and you say you, you affirm that, which isn't affirmation, it's confirmation, When you come in and you confirm those thoughts in a young person, it's an obscene act of cruelty. What I want to say isn't about sex, it's about love. Who gives a crap about sex? I mean, honestly, I'm too old. (laughs) Right? You get to a point where you don't care about sex, you care about love, because you need somebody to come and help you. You know, bad things happen, people die, people are in accidents, and you need a loved one. When I started all of this, Renee Jacks, my lovely, crazy friend Renee Jacks, said, you're thinking too much about the medical, and it's actually, this is social. One of the things that Stella and I put together in our brains conceiving this event was saying, the medical needs to be confronted with social. It is a dereliction of duty to medicalise a young person and say, well, that's your problem. Go on, off you go. You campaign to to have um, trans women swim. That's your No, it's not your problem. And what these people are doing, these people down the road are doing, I believe, is they are depriving people of something more important than sex, which is love. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of, you know, the older you get, you know, passing the mirror and looking in the mirror every day and thinking, I'm really hot. You're not thinking in those terms. And then you get to 50 and you get to 60, if you're lucky, and you need somebody. And when you watch... If you see one of those old couples, you know when you see an old couple and he's like 93 and she's 87 and you think, oh, that's lovely. And or maybe it's not. Maybe they're two old guys. Maybe it's two old women. It doesn't matter. The key word is old. You need stuff in your life. You need love. You need family. You need support. We know that you are reducing, if you, if you do this to a young person, or not actually necessarily a young person, a person of any age, you are reducing that person's dating pool by, figures vary, it's clearly over 90%. It's clearly over 90%. You can find people who will give you 98% on that. So you're taking 100 people who would form a life with you and you're saying, 98 of you, off you go. That is depriving these young people of love. And I get that they don't care, because I wouldn't have cared. Because if you'd said to me when I was 17... Oh, at the age of 50. You might as well have said 270. Well, 50? What's 50? You're Just, looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... So the, what they're doing is more important than sex. They are depriving people of love and companionship and support and the ability to be in a room with somebody where that beautiful thing you have when you've been in a relationship for 10 years where you, actually you can just, you know, you have to think about the fact they're in the room. They've seen it all. They've been offended by it all. If they were going to leave at this point, they would have left. (laughs) You're fine. And that's what actually matters when 
you need somebody to drive you to a hospital. That's what actually matters when your mum dies or your dad dies, is that you are not alone. We, gay people, do not have a right to relationships because nobody has a right to a relationship. But we have a right, as it were, to have as much right to seek that in life and to seek love and companionship and decency and care. And it is, yeah, fine, when you're 20, you don't care about all of that stuff because you're frankly quite fickle, right? <laughs> Prob I was. Um, that the adults in the room need to be the people who say, you have to, you have to think about this. You have to think about the course of your whole life, not just the next few weeks, not just, oh, I'm feeling cute right now. I posted this picture. Oh, yeah, this person thinks I'm cute. That's meaningless. That's going to do nothing for you. Love is what matters. Well, somebody in this room will know, but there was a poem, all that is left of us is love. I can't remember who wrote it, but that's the last line of it. It's probably Philip Larkin, because I'm very ignorant and don't know that much poetry. That's, it's true. All that's left of us is love. And this is depriving people of love. And it's criminal, and they should be fucking ashamed. So if you want to follow that up, he took it to the next level. Let's uh... He took it to the next level, but I want to say love also includes your sexuality. And I yes, think that's... It no, does. no, uh, it, does. it does. And I think that's really, really important. And I want to hold out that space for women, loving women, that our sexuality is really important and it's not the same as male sexuality, but it's hot, it's brilliant, and it's part of our love, okay? <laughs> Yes, 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 welcome. I'm just going to say one of the, the strange sort of ironies um, of the gay movement, if you, if you like, <clears throat> and how it blew itself up is that, you know, 50 years ago we were campaigning to, to have sex without being criminalised, and yet somehow the movement morphed and now steals sexuality from children. So with puberty blockers, if you take puberty blockers and then you go on to to transition and take cross-sex hormones and whatever, I mean, the genitals don't... I mean, this whole subject has only really recently come to, to light from Marcy Bowers and other people admitting that if you take puberty blockers, your genitals don't develop, so Jazz Jennings does not have a sex life and will never experience an orgasm. So how was it that a movement... 50 years ago, set up to free our sexuality so we could have sex without being put in jail. And now we're a generation growing up that can't have sex. I mean, it is a really, it's almost a sort of moral tale of some movement that had a sort of pathology injected into it. And it's, I mean, it, it, every time I think about it, I'm just baffled by how Nancy Kelly and other people don't see what the effect of what they're doing on young, not just gay young people, gay people because it'll be the straight gender non-conforming kids as well but it is really quite something that you know you steal the possibility of having a sex life and as you say Alistair love is all important but those loving relationships start normally with sex and if you can't have a sex life then how do you develop a love life and one of the things that I think has made the whole gender thing so powerful is I'm convinced that homosexuality still gives straight people the ick, right? 
It just gives straight people the ick. And they'd far rather be thinking about gender <coughs> than sexuality. And that's really part of what's going on here. And it's one of the reasons that I'm no longer talking to straight people, except for maybe a few of you in this room. <laughs> radical, radical. <laughs> I'll talk to straight people. Yeah, this, this panel yeah. is moderated by a straight man, if anybody was wondering. <laughs> Jet, do you have more thoughts? Um, yeah, um, I'd like to say something about like both of something you both said um, about like the love thing, like it ties into the love thing and also sexuality. So I had never really had a crush on anyone before I went on puberty blockers. I'd never met any gay person before I went on puberty blockers, never met a lesbian. And then I went on puberty blockers. And then while I was on puberty blockers, I met a lesbian girl and I knew I liked her, but I, I, I was just, I didn't have any feelings for her. Like I didn't want to kiss her. I didn't have any sexual feelings because I was on blockers. I knew I liked her and it, it just, it just wasn't making any sense. And then I went on testosterone and that sort of gave me a libido, but it wasn't my own sexuality. My own hormone cycle was suppressed. I didn't have my own sexuality. And so I knew I was in love with this girl but I wasn't experiencing actual attraction to her. And like, you, you do need that sexual attraction when you're crushing on someone. It's important also in the context of love. Um, and then like what you said about like what this does to someone's body, um, I think it's a human rights violation <laughs> to take that from a child because like I said, I had no sexual experience before I went on blockers at 16. I had no experience with my body, none whatsoever. And then I went on blockers, testosterone, um, and both ruined my sexuality. Testosterone ruined my genitals. Um, and only after quitting testosterone and like my body recovering, only at the age of 22, have I experienced healthy genitals and non-painful orgasms <laughs> and that sexuality is actually nice while for those six years between age 16 and 22 I thought sexuality was gross I thought my body was gross my genitals hurt orgasms hurt I didn't want to be with anyone I was ashamed of my body and like I said I wasn't actually crushing on anyone in a normal way nothing made any sense Looking, looking back on that, um, how did you process the, uh, was there frustration or was it just cluelessness about why these feelings are, are going on? What do I do with these uh, feelings? Uh, it, seems like it, it seems like, uh, like with that crush, you, you, had, you had desire, but it could only go so far. So. I felt blocked. You felt blocked. Even when I was on testosterone, I felt blocked because I knew I liked her, but I, I, I did not even have, like she would... Shouldn't. Maybe a bit much, but like she would try to kiss me and I would be like, well, I like her, so I should be enjoying this. But it wasn't doing anything to me. Hmm. I would kiss her and it just nothing happened. Hmm. Well, I knew I liked her and I was like obsessed with her, but my own sexuality wasn't there. And I now know the difference because I now have my own hormone cycle and I have my own sexuality and just everything is different. And now I understand what other people experience. Oh. And, and, and now it's like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> 
Oh. It's, it's, um, I've heard many stories such as yours, and I just can't get my head around. I can't get my head around it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Thank you for sharing. The, the thing that people don't acknowledge is just how powerful a drug testosterone is. Yes. I mean, I mean, the giving this incredibly mind-altering substance to teenagers once they're off the puberty blockers they then go on I mean estrogen too is really Can I come in on that yeah absolutely yeah. well mean, um, there is it, 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 they're all bad we're not I don't want to play this game that one's better than the other one's way worse than the other they're all shocking by the way you've got to keep in mind when males especially take the estrogen with the anti-androgen it's like a hormone cocktail and I honestly believe that is one of the reasons why the so oh, I was fucking mental back in the day as well like but I think it just messes with you in a way that you can't control. And you're dealing with all these, <coughs> excuse me, you're dealing with what Helen and Maya were talking about earlier, which is like this attack on reality, which you believe is the, the truth, but it's not. And you're faced with the objective truth and you've got this hormone cocktail in you in your in your thing and you've got the social con well not contagion it's more like a movement people telling you and reasserting that if they don't do xyz they are not liberal people they are actually some sort of fascist who wants to kill you um and it's very very powerful and i don't think I think it's worse objectively the younger you go. And from what I've seen in my male recovery group with the younger males, they're the ones who are suffering the most. I went through this when I was a fully grown adult at 25, 26, right? I still have a lot of health issues. I'm not going to list them. I, a lot of people know I've had surgery and I don't have a sex life. I never will have a sex life. And it's like these issues are... They just get worse the younger you go in. And puberty does give your body a chance to be like, grow your autoimmunity uh, system, your endocrine system and your, um, your organs too. And this is something I didn't learn until the group, but your um, organs themselves, not just your genitals, will be underdeveloped. So you're dealing with people who have got heart issues, liver, kidney. Yeah, any major organ are all underdeveloped. It's, it's attacking your entire body. And, you know, that's, that's basically me point side. Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, we're here to present an alternative view to a conference which is being held a mile away from people who say you have the right to free speech and we have the right not to listen to people who have been victims of medical malpractice because apparently that's what they want to be people who ignore victims of medical malpractice. So I'd like to say directly to them, you're really crap allies. Can I say <laughs> fuck WPA? <laughs> <laughs> and take the rainbow flag out of your bio. Because if you are just looking at this and saying, well, maybe, maybe we just don't have lesbians anymore, like, you know, you know. 
hookers. If that's your version of LGBT, no, 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 no. Take all of those letters out. In fact, take the T out. Well, because let's not pretend you give a crap, because you don't. Because we know that when Grace Ladinsky Smith phoned her surgeon and said, I'm dissatisfied, her surgeon, who's on record as saying, I've never heard of a detransitioner, said she thought it was a practical joke. So you don't care about the T, let alone the LGB. And I think we, as gay people, need to be a lot more muscular in saying to people, you're a crap ally, get the flag out of your bio, because if you're just happy to see this happen to a generation of young people who are same-sex attracted, which is something which takes processing and it's difficult and you have to get through it and you have to build yourself in a way that not everyone does. And there are lots of things like that in life, right? There are loads of things that you might deal with which make you a bit different. If they've got... The, that is enough to deal with without the medicalization. And I think we need to be a lot more muscular. And I would say to friends and colleagues in the room, particularly in North America and particularly in Canada, you need to be really muscular and fearless and say... You're a crap ally. Get the flag out of your bio. You've no business having the letters LGB in your mouth. Frankly, in my opinion, T, I would add to that. I would like to see more muscularity in the way that we address these people. And I hope that just being here and building connections and will have some confidence and it will enable people to speak quite confidently about this and to say, I'm going to explain to you why... Either you're really, really thick, or more likely, you have this very seriously wrong in a way which is, uh, yeah, it is a first world problem. It's also a first world problem which matters because it's real people's lives. These are not just statistics. I came into this through the parents, through meeting parents, and since then I've met all sorts of people. We aren't just numbers, these are real lives, and there's no accountability. And I'm very proud that we are here together to hold them to account, because they need to be held to account. Somebody has to do it. And yes, also, fuck WPATH. Yes. Yes. So I or, 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 sorry to interrupt, or... Please change, WPATH. Sorry. <laughs> so I'd also, I mean, the allies, you know, I'm definitely not talking to the allies, but I'd like to call out our communities as well. So I was looking at Wet For Her Sex Toys and their celebration of Lesbian Visibility Week, and they said, the aim is to celebrate all LGBTQ plus women, that includes men, and non-binary people, which includes men, to create unity and celebrate lesbian, bisexual, and queer women to be able to be our true selves in work, at home, and in the bedroom. But when we're not giving young women the chance to say that they have boundaries, that they desire women, and, and it was funny earlier when Helen said, lesbians won't sleep with trans women on a matter of principle. And I know Helen meant that in a particular way, but I want to say it's not a matter of principle. <laughs> it would be like asking me to sleep with Sam Smith, for God's sake. <laughs> nobody, nobody. Nobody wants to do that, do they? Nothing is that bad. Come on. Nothing's as bad but as being asked to sleep with Sam Smith. It's like Sam Smith. Some people desire Sam. That's cool. But it's about like... I'm not attracted, right? Why should I have sex with you? Fuck off. 
No, no, I know, I know, Helen, I know, but I'm just, I'm just, it was just an interesting use of words. And uh, just, you know, we're, our community ostracizes us for speaking up, right? They ostracize us for speaking up and wanting to create a space where young same-sex attracted people grow up and explore their sexuality and discover who they are and who they desire. On the positive side, <laughs> on the positive side, uh, the, one of the things I, I like a lot about what's happened over the last three or four years is how much straight, concerned people have really assisted and helped yes. gay yes. people. I mean, they've they've seen that there is. I mean, can you imagine how sort of nervous they were? They see that the gay community has exploded itself and is like a civil war. And, but they have reached out, and unlikely people, like, you know, if you told me, you know, five years ago, I'd be sitting down with a Tory baroness or a, or a, or a leader of the house. Um, Peter Bottomley came to the LGB Alliance conference and, you know, hello, hello, I'm Peter Bottomley, the leader of the house. I'm thinking, what? And, but these are just older, straight political people who genuinely have a concern. And, they, and if you and you know people talking about you know section twenty eight and all the rest of it twenty thirty years ago, um, our culture has completely changed. Where you get people all across the political spectrum who can see there's a problem there, and they have really helped. And I think that's one of the best things about about this movement over the last few years. We're going to wrap up here, Richie. Want to? Yeah, I just want to wrap up with a question, and I think this is underpinned to me earlier point, which is. What if the straight and not trans? Why is it that we only cared about this political group that we've deemed <laughs> worthy? Because they they are getting they are getting massacred too. Probably in a much because there's more of them naturally. They're the one you, you know you're getting lots of breasts cut off. You're getting um, penile inversions, and I don't care if they're gay or straight. It's still an mm. absolutely barbaric thing to do to anyone. Absolutely. So. so there's no Q&A for this, but thank you very much for uh, tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> well done. That wasn't so bad, was it?